You know, uh, sometimes we say things that we don't mean or the things that we say sort of get jumbled up or mixed up. But some people put words together and that don't go together. They're called oxymorons. Here are some oxymorons for us this morning. Government worker. Found missing. Sanitary landfill. Pretty ugly. Rap music. Microsoft works. A genuine imitation or airline food. Those really don't go together. Nor do these. These are printed statements in Sunday church bulletins that someone messed up on. For example, the sermon this morning is Jesus walks on the water. Tonight's message, searching for Jesus. (laughs) Don't let weary kill you off. Let the church help. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. (laughs) Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. (laughs) A bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. (laughs) Please place your donation in the envelope along with the deceased person you wish to be remembered. The eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. (laughs) Of course, these things are things that we don't want to communicate. They don't and shouldn't go hand in hand. They don't go together. But I want to talk to us this morning about what does go together. What is it that belongs together like salt and pepper? Or like sundrop and dessert? Sweet tea and fried chicken. I mean, what is it that this should go together? And that is the Christian and joy. The Christian and joy. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is the joy of the Lord your strength this morning? I hope and pray that we're able to discern that as we read Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11. And as you're turning there, I want us to consider what it is that ignites joy in us. I want us to consider this morning what is it that sustains us through trial, through heartache, through tribulation. And I'm here to assert this morning that it's nothing more than an abiding, loving relationship with the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Philippians chapter 1, 
1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we believe this morning that it is your message to us, that it is without any mixture of error. It comes to us pure. God, able to reprove us, able to give us correction, able to give us instruction in righteousness. Lord, we pray this morning that you would use your word to bring instruction to our hearts as it relates to joy. Take this time and you, Father, behind lifted up because you said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. God, be honored in what is said here this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. People today are consumed with the pursuit of happiness. We make time to do what we want to do, and usually it involves some way that it can make us happy. But the bad thing is, is that these folks are often controlled by their circumstances because they can't control their circumstances. And when a relationship goes bad, or when they're unsatisfied with their car, or they're unsatisfied with the church, or they're unsatisfied with their job, they seek to find and buy new ones because they are living a life that is tied to circumstance. They're living a life that is tied to happenings, to happiness. And that is what Scripture warns us against. That we can't tie our, our happiness to circumstances because circumstances can change in an instant. Circumstances could change for us as we leave this building today. So we cannot tie our joy into our circumstances. So what is it that we can tie our joy into? Because happiness is a fleeting feeling. And it's always often or often elusive. I remember I used to play football in the backyard at my house growing up. Our guys in the neighborhood would get together and we would play just backyard football. And, and, and I thought to myself, you know, I was, I was pretty good, you know. And one day, one of uh, 
my neighbor friends brought in a buddy of his whose name was Fraser Stallings. Fraser was like a a fly, couldn't catch him. I mean, he was so elusive, and I got so frustrated at trying to tackle him. I would say, okay, the next play, I'm going to try harder, and surely for one play, I'm going to be able to get him and have the satisfaction of tackling him and taking him to the ground. But to be honest with you, I never had that satisfaction. I never was able to get my hands on him to tackle him. And so many times, it's sort of like, North Carolina and NC State yesterday. North Carolina couldn't get their hands on North Carolina State to save their life. No amens and no clapping, please. (laughs) But that's what happiness is. We chased after this material thing. We chased after this promotion. We chased after this relationship. And when those things go wrong and those things go bad, guess what? We search for new and better. It's like my son who has the iPod, I don't know what generation, four, five, six, ten, whatever. But we told him for his birthday, guess what, son? Maybe in two or three weeks, they're going to come out with a new and better version. I don't care. I want it now. So guess what? He got it now. Two or three weeks later, guess what came out? A newer and better version. Guess what he wants now? He wants the newer and better version of the iPod. Of course, human nature says that we do that. We want that. But our joy can't depend on it. Our joy can't depend on it. So don't let your job be the source of your happiness. Don't let your material blessings be the source of your happiness. Don't even let a relationship be the source of your happiness. Don't let your circumstances, whether good or bad, be the source of your happiness this morning. So I guess the question for us is... Are we searching for happiness or are we in the pursuit of joy? That's what the book of Philippians is about, the pursuit of joy. Here's what John MacArthur says about the book of Philippians. He says, spiritual joy is not an attitude dependent upon chance or circumstance. It is the deep and abiding confidence that regardless of one's circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and the Lord. No matter what difficulty, pain, disappointment, failure, rejection, or other challenge one is facing, genuine joy remains. So in this short letter to the Philippians, we're going to learn about joy. And we're going to learn about joy not only from its author, but from its recipients. And so let me assert this morning, the first thing that we need, that Christians need to experience joy in their life, is found in verse 1. And it is, joy is a case of unmistaken identity. Let me say that again. Joy is having a case of unmistaken identity. In other words, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know who we belong to. Listen to verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, If there was ever anyone who could say, woe is me. If there was ever anyone who could say, look what they're saying about me. If there was ever anyone who could tie unhappiness to his circumstances, that was the Apostle Paul. Because as he was writing this, he was even in prison. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says about Paul in his commentary on uh, Paul in Philippians. It says, physically... 
Paul must have been a wreck. Everywhere he traveled, he carried on his body a shocking diary of scars that visibly testified to the murderous hatred and hardships that he had endured. All that suffering, yet Paul still spoke of joy in his letter to the church at Philippi. How? How could this man writing from prison in Rome press out a deep, rich joy from such bitter circumstances, past or present? Because he was confident that God was at work that God was in control and that God allowed all things to occur for the one ultimate purpose, his greater glory. Paul understood that joy doesn't depend upon circumstances, people, or possessions. It's an attitude that is determined by confidence in God. And did you notice how Paul addressed the Philippians? He said, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind, we've got to remember that to the Philippians, Paul was a hero. He was superhuman. Sort of like what Elvis is to music, or Vince Lombardi is to football, or Michael Jordan is to basketball, or Dean Smith or Roy Williams is to college coaching. He was a hero. He was a hero in the eyes of the Philippians, but yet he said, I will not be identified by that. I will not be identified by my accomplishments. I will not be identified by what I have done for you. The only way that I want to be identified is by saying that I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. A doulos. What does that communicate? What is he actually saying when he says, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus? It says this, number one, that he is the absolute possession of Jesus Christ. So when he's saying, I'm a slave of Christ, he is saying that I am not owned by what other people think of me. I'm not owned by any relationship. I'm not owned by an occupation. I'm not owned by my material blessings. I am owned solely by Jesus Christ. He had a case of unmistaken identity. Well, not only did he have a case of unmistaken identity that allowed him to be the possession of Christ, he owed absolute obedience to Christ. That's what you're saying when you're a doulos. You are saying that you are the possession of Christ. You are saying that I owe absolute obedience to Christ. Nearly 20 years ago, when I said, I do, and I put this ring on my finger, I promised, I made a pledge to my wife to love her with my whole heart. I made a pledge to serve her. I made a pledge to do everything in my power to make our marriage work, make it good. But I don't belong to her. I'm not her slave. But because I belong to Jesus, because I am his possession, I have strength in my marriage. I have strength in being a father. I have strength in being a youth pastor. Does that mean that I do everything perfect? Let Molly tell you. And she would say no. But at least I know who I belong to and who I need to be obedient to. So I'm convinced, though, today that, that many Christians live joyless lives. Many Christians walk around with a woe-is-me kind of attitude because they live their life as though they own it. 
They live life as though they want and seek after their own will, irregardless of what Scripture teaches. See, Paul had the grasp on his identity. You see, if we choose to gratify self and be obedient to our own self-will, then we are choosing a lifestyle that is fleeting, and we are not choosing what God calls us to choose, and that is the permanency of joy in our life. Paul not only was unmistaken about his identity, but he was unmistaken about the identity of the Philippians. You see in this verse that he says he calls them the saints. Not only the saints, but the saints who are in Christ. You know, some denominations have deified saints. But simply, a saint means this. A saint is someone who belongs to the Lord Jesus. A saint is someone who has come before God and confessed his or her sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior. And now the presence of the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. That's exactly what a saint is. That's the way we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Christ lives in us. You never hear a Buddha saying, I'm in Buddha. You never hear a Muslim saying, I am in Muhammad. You never hear a Mormon saying, I am in Joseph Smith or I am in Brigham Young. You never hear those folks saying that. You never hear them saying that I can do all things through Buddha who strengthens me. You don't hear that. You don't ever hear them saying, I can do all things through Muhammad who strengthens me. And even if they did, so what? It doesn't matter. You know why? Because they're dead and they're in their grave and they will never rise to again to eternal life because they never confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But because we, you and I, are saints in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the power of the one living inside of us who spoke the world into creation. We have the power of the one who came to us, who left the portals of glory and lived among us for 33 years and he died on a cross and then he rose again from the grave and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven he He said, I'm coming back to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That same power lives inside of you, and it lives inside of me, and it lived inside of the Philippians, and that's why Paul called him saints, and that's why you and I can have joy in any and all circumstances this morning. Paul had a case of unmistaken identity. But I guess the question this morning is this. Where is our identity? Personally, ask yourself this morning, what do you find your identity in? I remember growing up as a little kid, I had to go grocery shopping with my mom every Friday morning. I had to go to the beautician, and then we had to go get groceries. <laughs> Talk about an exciting life. Boy, that was awesome. Loved it. Loved Friday mornings. So one particular Friday morning, it was raining. Mom puts on her overcoat, and we go to the store, the fairway in Hudson, North Carolina. Seemed like everybody and their mama was there that day. It was raining outside, of course. Everybody goes to the grocery store. I don't know why. It's raining. Let's go to the grocery store. So I asked my mom as I was walking by, I said, Mom, can I go to the candy aisle? She goes, no, you can't. Not right now. Hold on. Well, me being the good little child that I was, I said, Bye, I'm going to the candy aisle. So I went to the candy aisle, and I got all the candy that I wanted to get or or hoped to get. And I was making my way back to the buggy, my mom's buggy, and I looked down this aisle, and I looked down this aisle, and I looked down this aisle. I finally realized that it was back in the day that where all the women wore those beehive hairdos. 
And every single woman in that store had a coat on like my mom, it seemed. And so I would look, and I would look, and I would look. And then finally, I looked like, I, it looked like this was my mom from the back. So I ran up to her and bumped into her and said, hey, mom, here's my candy. She turned around and said, I'm not your mama. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Momentarily, I ran away from my identity. We can't have joy apart from Jesus Christ. We've got to know who we belong to, whose we are, and who we need to remain tied to, tethered to, our Lord and our Savior. Well, not only to have joy do we need to have a case of unmistaken identity, but number two, joy comes when we focus on others. We've got to choose to focus on other people. Verses 3 through 5 of Philippians 1 says this. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you in every prayer of mine for you, making, all, uh, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. So how do we focus on others? I believe Paul gives us two things in this passage of Scripture that will help teach us what it means to focus on others. The first thing is this. We focus on others when we choose to see the good in them. We focus on others. We genuinely focus on others when we choose to see the good in them. Paul had many memories on his visit to Philippi. And I'm sure some of them were really good. And I'm sure some of them were not so good. Take, for example, this visit to Philippi that is recorded in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And brought her owners much gain for fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and magistrates tore their garments off them, and they gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many wounds on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. I don't know about you, but it seems like to me that in this passage of Scripture, Paul had far more bad things that he could dwell on than positive. But yet, in his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, I choose to see the good. I choose to see the good. One year for mine and Molly's anniversary, it was during a time of struggle for us, just to be honest with you. She felt like the Lord was telling her to sit down and write the positive characteristics that I possessed as a husband or as a father or as a, a minister of the gospel. So she was encouraged by God to do this, to get up one morning and write these things down on a piece of paper. 
So she obeyed and she got up and she got her piece of paper out and she thought, she thought, and she thought some more. Seriously, she wrote down the positive characteristics in me. And she gave that to me for our anniversary gift. She wasn't looking to change me. She was looking to change her perspective and how she saw me. Who is it today? Or what situation today do you need to have a better perspective on? What is it that you need to see the positive instead of the negative? Because if we continue to look around us, we are filled with negativity that are tied to our circumstances. But if we continue to dwell on the negative, we will never have the joy of the Lord Jesus that he promised us and that he wants us to have. So we've got to see the positive in people. We've got to focus on that. Is it a neighbor? Is it a spouse? Is it your son or daughter, a co-worker? Who is it today that you need to see the positive in to experience the joy of Christ? Secondly, we focus on others when we intercede on their behalf. Prayer for others, and we see that's what Paul does. He has a prayer of thanksgiving in this passage of Scripture. He intercedes on their behalf. And so prayer for others is another essential element for joy for the believer. I have Keith Roney's permission to tell this story. As a few years ago, uh, of course, Keith is a high school teacher at Northwest Cabarrus High School. A few years ago, he had a particularly hard class. They were hard to teach. They were hard to discipline. They were just a hard class. It was a freshman history class. And he said, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if any of them were in jail today. I laughed. I think he was joking. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. But halfway through the year, he was at his wit's end. He did not know what to do until he remembered a book that he read by Max Lucado entitled A Love Worth Giving. And in that book, there's a chapter entitled The 747 Principle. And he remembered that principle and he thought to himself, I'm going to employ this principle in my life. And here's what it is. It's a commentary based on Luke 7, 47, which reads this. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Whole chapter based on that verse. And if you remember the rest of the chapter, it talks about how Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to his house for a meal. And Jesus is reclining at the table, and then in comes this woman, a woman of the world, and she came to the feet of Jesus, and she cried at the feet of Jesus. Her tears wet the feet of Jesus. Then she took her hair and she wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair to dry him. And then she took the precious anointment, the expensive uh, anointing oil, and, and placed that on the feet of Jesus and rubbed it in. And Simon the Pharisee, what are you doing? Jesus, if you knew who this woman was, you would know she's not worthy to do this. And Jesus said, Simon, because this woman had been forgiven much, she can give much. But because of you, 
who have not been forgiven much can't love much. That is what Keith remembered when he talked and thought about his students. So what he did was he made a list, an alphabetical order of that class, a list of those names. Not only that class, but all of his classes. And not only all of his classes, but this cross-country team. He made an alphabetical list of all those people, and he resigned to pray for them. He said, I am going to pray for these students on a daily basis. I am going to intercede on their behalf. I'm going to have intercessory kind of prayer for them. If I know a need, I'm going to pray for that need. If I don't know, if I don't know a need and it's a hard day, I'm going to pray the three S's for them. To sit down, to shut up, and stop bugging me. I'm sure Keith would like to tell you that the students changed in an instant. But they didn't. But Keith did. Keith was able to experience joy in his class because he chose to intercede for his students. Who is it that you need to intercede for and pray for this morning? Not only will it benefit them, but it brings you joy. It brings me joy when we do that. Lastly, this morning, joy comes when we encourage one another. Verses 6 to 11 of Philippians 1 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the spirit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So not only do we need to have a case of unmistaken identity, not only do we need to, to learn to focus on others, but we need to encourage other people. We need to encourage them. And here's how Paul tells us we can do that. First of all, he says that we can encourage them with words of comfort. In verse 6, Paul encourages the Philippians to see the big picture. He said, Christ started it. Christ is going to finish it. You know, many times in the face of trial or persecution, all we can see is the trial or persecution. But here Paul sees the big picture. He sees God is at work in their lives. He sees that God is in control of their present circumstances. He sees that God is not only in the control of their present circumstances, but He's in control of their future circumstances. God is sovereign and God is in control. Who are you pouring your life into right now with these words of encouragement? You might be saying, well, Kevin, I'm the one. I need the encouragement. I'm going through a trial that's just hard to bear. I'm going through heartache. I'm going through suffering. I need the encouragement. My hope and my prayer is this, is that you get it. But also my hope and my prayer is this, is that you're able to see that in your discouragement... Because of the joy of Christ that is in you, you can offer words of encouragement to those around you. Because you think about Paul, where he is writing this letter. He's writing it chained to a Philippian jailer, to a Roman jailer. And he's saying, you know what? 
My circumstances are hard. It's a hardship. But I'm not focusing on my circumstances. I'm not focusing on my heartache. I'm not focusing on my trial. I'm focusing on others so that I can encourage them because when I do that, I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So we encourage others with words of comfort and assurance. Even in our time of heartache and trial. Secondly, we encourage others with words of affection. Verses 7 and 8, we see that Paul's affection is supported by really what's in his heart. It wasn't hard for Paul to communicate his feelings to the Philippians because of what he meant, they meant to him. Paul was grateful for what they had done for him, and he didn't want them to go unnoticed. He affirmed that the Philippian church had been with him selflessly, sacrificially, and stood by him and encouraged him in his time of need. You know, I often tell our teenagers that we can use our words for either encouragement or discouragement. We can use our words for encouragement or discouragement. And Paul's saying here, affectionately use your words for encouragement. But in his book, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges says that if we use our words for gossip and lying and criticism and slander and insults and sarcasm and ridicule, we've done nothing but tear down the body of Christ. And in doing so, we've robbed our own self of joy, not even the people that we're talking to or talking about. Of course, we've robbed them of joy, but we've also robbed ourselves of joy. We've got to use our words for encouragement, not discouragement. Who needs your words of encouragement this morning? Who needs your words of encouragement? Lastly, we encourage others with words of challenge. In verse 9, we see Paul reminding the Philippians to grow in their love for one another. All throughout the Bible, we see... God telling us and reminding us to grow in our love for Him, that we got to love God supremely. We've got to love others more than ourselves. A few years ago, um, back when Jay and Caroline were smaller, Jay came running out to, to to see me and Molly, and he had this serious look on his face like something's wrong. And you know how older sisters are. They never want to aggravate and pester their younger brothers. Never. 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 But Jay came, he ran out to us and he looked at us as serious as he can. He said, Mom and Dad, you've got to do something with Caroline. I was like, well, well, slow down. What's going on? What's going on? And he said, just as seriously as he could, he said, she's invagorating me. And I'm like, invagorating? Yeah, she's invagorating me. You mean aggravating me? No, she's, inv- she's invagorating me. And I'm thought to myself, he means aggravating. Why is it so hard sometimes to express our deepest sense of love and gratitude and emotion to the ones that are closest to us? Because if we can't do it genuinely to the ones that are closest to us, how can we do it on a grander scale? And how can we receive the joy that God has for us if we're not loving like God taught us to love? Paul said, listen, Philippians, grow in your love for one another. That will increase your joy. We have a love chair at our house. 
And sometimes when our kids fuss and fight, guess where they go? They go to the love chair and they resolve their differences until they can come out of that chair loving the way that me and Molly think they ought to love. We might need to sit in the love chair this morning with somebody. But we also challenge others to pursue holiness and to stay close to Jesus. Verse 11 is a challenge to remain close to Christ, who in the end is our ultimate source of joy. We always play a game at our church lock-in called Underground Church. Am I right, guys? Yeah, they're all like, yes, I love that. Underground Church is a fun game. If you don't know what it is, come to a lock-in and find out. But essentially, I have to, I have, there's not enough time to explain it. It's where the adults chase the kids and they put them in jail before they can establish a church. If the kids establish a church, they win the game. If the adults get them in jail, uh, the adults win the game. The adults always win, by the way, just to let you know. Yeah, we go. <laughs> Talk to the hand. Uh, the first year that I played this, I had just turned 40. And uh, I thought to myself, if I can capture the fastest one, I- I'm good. I'm good. Now, what in the world possessed me to think that I could catch the fastest one? Justin Cook was like three or four feet away from me. And I thought to myself, I am going to pursue that boy. And I'm going to tag him and he's going to go to jail. Well, I started out. And about two seconds later, I was like, okay, where are the middle school girls? I can catch them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you guys are a whole lot more attainable than Justin Cook was. And that's basically what it boils down to this morning. The joy of the Lord is attainable. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is it your strength this morning? Do you have a case of unmistaken identity? Do you tend to focus on others or your own problems? Do you use your words for encouragement or discouragement? Because there are a lot of things that can rob us of our joy. First and foremost, the obvious is the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Please listen to me. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, meaning that you have never come to the point in your life where you have repented of your sin and asked Jesus to be your Savior, there is no way, no way, no way that you can have joy. But sometimes Christians... Like I said, walk around joyless. Why? Because they have an inadequate understanding of God's sovereignty. They walk around joyless because they're prayerless. They walk around joyless because they have their focus set on their own circumstances or of their ingratitude or because they let their emotions control them. My hope and my prayer is this morning that through these words you've been able to identify yourself with Jesus. And that you are in a true assessment of your own life, pursuing joy, encouraging others, focusing on others, and not yourself. The band is going to come and play, and 
I would just ask that you be very mindful of yourself and the people around you during this invitation time. It's the Lord's invitation. And if he has spoken to your heart, I would pray that you would come to this altar and and get it right with him. If he's calling you to salvation, I pray that you would come here. I would love to talk to you about that, about how to become a Christian. God may be calling you to be a member of this church, to become an active part of what we do here at Pitts Baptist Church. We would love to have you as well. But whatever the case might be, I pray that you would do some inner inventory and let the Lord speak to you and you be obedient to him. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. The band's going to play. And you come as the Lord leads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your word that will not return void. God, we come to you and we pray that you would have your will and your way in this, your invitation. Speak to our hearts, Father, and may we be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.